We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. In the pole position in Indy. The pole's position. It's time for pole's position. The Bears have the number one pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. The Chicago Bears are on the clock. What will Ryan Poles do with the number one pick? We're going to evaluate the draft class, and I would say this, I'd have to be absolutely blown away. We're counting down the days to the NFL Draft. How about the number one pick with the Bears? Are you ready for people to start questioning whether you're the, the quarterback of the Chicago Bears next I mean, year? I am. I would trade Justin Fields. I'm Justin Fields all the way. I love the kid. What I'm hearing out of Chicago is they're finna package him up, trade him for some other pieces, and then go with the Bryce kid from Alabama. Wow, I did not know that. That's a good, that's a good old insight right there. There's many things you can do uh, um, yeah a trade back so um, he likes that'll picks be a, that'll be a <laughs> the Bears would be absolutely insane yeah. to trade you put your pom-poms down in Chicago Justin Fields he's not a star Poles position with Parkins and Spiegel on 670 the score The Parkins and Spiegel Show, afternoons on The Score. It is indeed Poles' position as we try to put ourselves in the mindset of the Bears general manager who is running the offseason and doing it well so far, clearly enjoying himself. And today we bring in to the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, Sam Munson from Pro Football Focus. Been a long time since I have had a chance to talk to Sam. And uh, Danny Parkins, uh, my partner in absentia, will be sad to miss this particular time. But Dan Bernstein is here for Danny. Sam, welcome to the show. How you doing? Doing well. How about you guys? We are good. It's a really fun time to be a Bears fan and to be Bears media, uh, as as you can understand. Um how how low would you go if you were Ryan Poles and you have this many needs on their roster and you have Justin Fields, how comfortably low would you be going and still get a player of consequence out of this draft, what he calls a blue player? I, I think the good news is that 
Chicago has so many needs. They can target pretty much every spot in the roster outside of that quarterback spot when they're keeping fields that they can go effectively as low as somebody will give them an offer. You know, obviously number four overall with the Colts is the spot that a lot of people have been targeting for a trade. Um, When Jalen Carter uh, didn't have his uh, legal concerns, when he wasn't um, dealing with those things, it was, it was the perfect spot because you could drop down to four and basically guarantee yourself coming away with either Will Anderson or or Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia with him not out of the picture, but with that complicated a bit more, I think that opens up an awful lot more um, potential opportunities for Chicago to trade further down and just really maximize the kind of haul that they can get in a trade. And I think they would be smart to look for a trade that involves a first round pick next season, just, just a hedge, you know, just to do, the Eagles kind of did a similar thing with Jalen Hurts. They thought he would be the guy, but they wanted to make sure they had multiple first-round picks the following season just in case they were wrong. So seven, nine, if, if, if they're at nine, could they still get a really good player? If they're at 11, do you think they could still get a really good player? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to depend what position, you know, you're looking at. And obviously the two best defensive players and the two guys I think that are true blue chip, can't miss, slam dunk types of players are Will Anderson and then Jalen Carter, independent of the, the legal stuff. Once you get beyond that, it does get a lot, awful lot more tricky, but you can get, you know, midway down the first uh, round and you're still picking one of the best wide receivers in the draft. You're still picking one of the best cornerbacks in the draft, one of the better edge rushers, um, one of the best tackles. Like there's a lot of talent in this draft that you can get midway down the first round. So even getting outside of the top 10, Tennessee at number 11 is a, a wild card for that number one spot. Maybe they want to do something that aggressive. Uh, I think you could easily get down as far as that and still be able to pick a very good player and really maximize what you could get back. What what edge rushers, if it is 9 or 11, is there an edge rusher that you like there? The, enough to mitigate the you know the loss of Will Anderson because you've obviously he's not as good as Will Anderson but you're going to get all the draft capital which edge rusher at nine or eleven do you like? I think Lucas Van Ness would be a really interesting player to to add to this team. I think Nolan Smith, the the Georgia edge rusher, is probably rising up the first round given that insane combine that he had where he ran in the four threes despite being uh, a little bit undersized. He's probably moving up but maybe not that high. But Lucas Van Ness from Iowa is this giant monster of a, an edge rusher who had a kind of weird profile at the Combine where he posted a bunch of really impressive numbers and then a couple of strangely pedestrian numbers. His vertical jump wasn't particularly spectacular. But he's got a really impressive uh, pass rush win rate over the last couple of seasons. He's been consistently good and getting better. He's the prototypical size and kind of frame that you look for. And I think if Will Anderson is gone, as, as we would expect, and Tyree Jackson, the Texas Tech edge rusher, is the next guy that's likely to go off the board and is getting some real hype at the moment, Lucas Van Ness, I think, would be an exceptional sort of consolation prize after those two guys. I want you to disabuse me of a notion, if possible, Sam, because 
if I if correct me if I'm wrong, but PFF for most of the year had the Bears' offensive line as about average pass blocking and pretty close to elite run blocking, which finished. I wanted, was it the top third of offensive lines? And I'll be honest, I feel a little gaslit because <laughs> I, you know, I, I watched them. And it just didn't feel like that to me. And I'm I'm a stats guy. I, I usually will say the stats watch all the games. The set, the stats see what you don't see. Where's the disconnect? And with where? Why do I have this cognitive dissonance? Well, the first thing is that an average offensive line gets beat a lot. You know, and people I think don't like average offensive linemen generally. There, there's a bunch of those players throughout the NFL. Um, Charles Leno, I think, is a great example of that, right? Obviously, uh, a guy with a connection now with the with Washington. Fans hate Charles Leno, but Charles Leno is basically a league average starting offensive left tackle, which is a pretty valuable thing. And if you have five guys that play at that level, you have one of the better offensive lines in the league, even if all five starters are slap bang in the middle of average. Um, the problems emerge when those guys face elite players because average players lose bad to elite players. And that shows up in a couple of games a year, but over the broad um, sort of season, they end up playing pretty well. Uh, The other element I think is that, you know, Chicago, because of the offense they ran and because of what Justin Fields does to defenses and to the scheme as a whole, it it changes the the dynamic a little bit and it makes life a little bit easier for those offensive linemen. We've seen that in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson and that offense. If you have a quarterback that that fundamentally changes the way defenses have to line up and play play defense, it will change the responsibility. It will change the job for the offensive linemen. So I think that group moved in the right direction and got a lot better by the end of the season than the start of the season. But I think they could still stand to upgrade pretty much any spot along that offensive line. Maybe some are more acute problems than others, but I certainly would agree with you that they there's no spot along that line that is completely untouchable and that they, they don't need to even think about. Okay, well, let's just say that maybe right tackle would be a consideration for them, and maybe they would look at what it might cost to bring Mike McGlinchey in from San Francisco. How? What did your ratings think of his performance last year? Yeah, Mike McGlinchey is a good starting right tackle, and he's more of a run-blocking tackle than a pass-blocking tackle. And I don't know if Chicago wants to specifically lean into that element of the game with Justin Fields as their quarterback or if they feel that they can lean into it more than, say, Juwan Taylor from Jacksonville, who's very much the other side of that coin. He's a pass-blocking specialist. The guy gave up basically one pressure a game last season but was not good as a run blocker. So, you know, are the Bears looking at two players who I guess maybe are comparable from a, an overall standpoint and saying, give us the guy that's the, the run blocker versus the pass protector. But McGlinchey has shown now that he can be a good, consistent caliber starting tackle who will give up a little bit of pressure, but is a real road grader in the run game. Wow. We'll talk to Bonte Hill from 95.7 The Game in San Francisco a little bit later in the hour for a little more on Mike McGlinchey, letting Bears fans know that. With Sam Munson here from Pro Football Focus. Uh, one more on the offensive line. So maybe they'll stay with Braxton Jones, who appears to be a possible 
Charles Leno comp in terms of fifth rounder, but league average, and Ryan Poles clearly likes him. Um, is Peter Skaronsky good enough to overcome his arm length and be a real good NFL tackle? I think that's a big debate. Um, there's going to be teams that look at that arm length and say, that guy's a guard, and they're not even going to try him a tackle. Um, and, and for what it's worth, when you just watched him move around during the drills in Indy at the Combine, he looks like a guard. I mean, if you took a picture of that guy and showed somebody and asked him what position he played along the offensive line, they would say guard before they told you tackle. Um, but I think he's shown enough in his college performance or in his college career to say, well, let's give the guy a chance to fail at tackle before we peg him as a guard. Like, it's a more valuable skill set if he ends up being a good tackle and he gave up just a handful of pressures in each of the last couple of seasons playing at left tackle. So I would give him a shot and let him prove that he can't do that before we determine that for him and immediately move him into guard. When is it okay to draft running backs? <laughs> As we start learning to value the position relatively and the replaceability, the fungibility, and, and what constitutes replacement level at the position, what should inform somebody like, like Poles or his counterparts when it comes to using draft capital on that position where guys seemingly can just be found anywhere? So I think there's a couple of elements to this. The first one is you have to look at the contracts, the rookie contracts and where that ends up putting a running back in terms of league average and, and overall money that you're committing to him. Anything after pick number six, say that running back is on a pretty modest contract, even if he ends up being, uh, you know, just an average player. And if he's a superstar and he's earning that kind of reasonable money, then it's a, it's a steal. The second thing you need to factor in is, well, what was the opportunity cost? If we draft a running back at this spot, even if the contract is fine and it's not egregious money for a running back, what did we leave on the table to, to draft the running back? Um, and I think that's where it gets more debatable in the first round is we know that you need the run blocking. We know that you need the quarterback, the pass game, the, the defensive, thing, uh, defensive positions are typically more valuable, certainly edge rusher, cornerback. So, there's a long list of players that are probably going to move the needle for a team more than drafting a running back at that particular spot. But if those spots are all gone, if the value really is there, or if the running back prospect in particular is that special a prospect, so, you know, a B. John Robinson this year, um, I think you can definitely construct an argument that the middle of the first round is a perfectly reasonable place to draft a running back. I'm looking for Bijan Robinson in your latest mock draft over at Pro Football Focus. And unless I'm missing him, I, I got to go pretty far down. Number 26 to the Cowboys. So thinking that they would give up on Zeke Elliott and pair Bijan with, uh, with, with, um, with Tony Pollard. Yeah, I mean, they've been looking to get out from that Zeke Elliott contract for a while, but they're just stuck with it up until this point. Now's the first time they can start to make some moves there. And Tony Pollard, you know, one-year franchise tag deal for him. They still haven't really given him that bell cow responsibility that he's earned from, from the last couple of years. Mm. I, I just think that would be a phenomenal Jerry Jones pick. But like I said, I, I would be fine with Bijan getting picked, you know, 10 picks higher. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I saw another mock that Adam going to the Eagles because they need another weapon like that. <laughs> That'd be good. Um, Sam, uh, of the wide receivers, uh, the more I've read, I'm intrigued by Jordan Addison at USC. 
But Jackson Smith and Jigba makes all the sense in the world with the Ohio State connection and Justin Fields. And and then obviously there is there is the much taller and stronger Quentin Johnston at TCU. Do you have one that you like best if the Bears are going to go that direction between 9 and 15, something like that? Yeah, it's a really interesting group of receivers because they're very different styles of player. Um, I think Addison is the best receiver in the class. I think he's the safest receiver in the class. He's just good at everything. And he's going to, I think, get dinged a little bit because he came in very small at the combine weight-wise, didn't light things up in terms of measurables and uh, 40 time and that kind of thing. But I think the chances of him not being a good NFL wide receiver are very low. Smithing Jigba, though, is a guy who, again, very high uh, floor like his ability as a slot receiver is phenomenal and I think there's a chance that he could do more than that at the next level he's got the footwork he's got the release package off the line of scrimmage and I think he's probably got enough quickness that he might be able to play outside as a, an X receiver and kind of play everywhere across the offense and if he's able to do that he might well be the top wide receiver in this draft but then Quentin Johnson is the one with the size and the speed and the explosion and the sort of true X wide receiver profile that gives you potentially a higher ceiling. Um, I'm a little bit scared off by the things he's bad at, the the stuff at the catch point, just the, the completeness of his game. So he would probably be the third I would take out of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, but Addison or Smith and Jigba, I think, would immediately – absolutely improved this wide receiver group a, a large amount. Is Kalijah Cansey from Pitt a plug-and-play three technique? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, he's going to get talked about. We're going to get Aaron Donald comps because, you know, undersized defensive tackle from Pitt. It's just there are too many parallels. Um, he's not Aaron Donald because nobody is, but I think he's going to be a very good, immediate, quick impact um, interior pass rusher. His explosion his burst off the line is so good. And even if he's a little bit further behind than Donald was coming out in terms of hand usage and defeating blocks, he will cause problems for offensive linemen. See, that's really intriguing to me because he's got to get stronger and he has to learn some of the stuff you're talking about. But everyone says he is immediate impact, get to the quarterback guy in the middle of your line, which is the engine for the, for this defense. Yeah, if he's he drawing refuses. double teams, then all of a sudden the defense is better. Right. Um, Sam, I wanted to ask you just, uh, I, it, it's been fun to watch the rise of pro football focus and certain people we've gotten to know like you. You've been everywhere. You were at the Super Bowl. You're at the draft. And oftentimes the pictures on Twitter are, look how short I am compared to every player in the NFL, (laughs) you know? Um, And it's super entertaining. But I wondered what more interaction and conversation with players, um, past and present, has done to what you think about your scouting system and film breakdown that you guys have pioneered at PFF? Because there's still some people that look at that and say, well, I don't know, like Bernsey, you were asking at the beginning of the show, you know, like, like it, what, what is that rating system? How much of that should we trust? What, what, what have you learned about your system as you've interacted with more players? Yeah, I think most of the time we have conversations with people. It's all just about sharing perspectives, you know, guys from inside meeting rooms or inside uh, team facilities of the NFL, they have a perspective. We have a perspective coming at it from the outside and neither side fully appreciates 
how things work in the other person's world. You know, we don't know exactly how those meeting rooms kind of break down or how they evaluate and how they talk about plays. And they don't know quite how we're going out and doing the play-by-play grading. So oftentimes it's just sort of sharing information and kind of coming to a common understanding. And we had a, a really interesting uh, appearance by Taylor Lewan and, and Will Compton, the Bussing with the Boys guys, who had been saying they'd been putting out this conspiracy theory that PFF accepts, you know, cash for grades. We, we boost grades by agents who pay us money. And oh. we sort of talked it all out. And it was it's obviously once you actually start to think about it a bit more, it's it's like patently absurd on, on its face. But that, that's once you start to defamation in with those guys. Yeah, you know, it is, but it's all, it's all fun when you put it on a podcast. Um, <laughs> but once you start to talk it out and, and kind of come to, they understand how we're doing things, we understand what they're doing a bit more. Like, they came out of it, maybe not completely turned around and, and PFF subscribers, but they're kind of on board with the concept now. Well, you send a, a letter from a lawyer, they'll be on board right away. <laughs> I'm dead serious. How yeah. would I be saying that about my business? No, I know. And, and has any player um, in a good-natured way said, why the hell do you grade me like this when I know for a fact I'm better at pass, pass rush win rate than you guys have me or whatever? Well, generally the ones asking that question are not doing it in a, in a good-natured way. You know, <laughs> the guys that are grading badly – are not exactly uh, not exactly pleased that they're grading badly and typically are quite uh, vociferous about wanting a higher grade. Um, the occasional one is you get one that says, you know, I was worse than this. And those are the guys that tend to do it in a good-natured way. Well, uh, it's, it's interesting. Well, congrats on the uh, continued success and being everywhere, and thanks for the time, man. You guys do great work, and you do too specifically. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Appreciate it. Sam Munson from Pro Football Focus. Always great. Yeah. And, and I just I appreciate it. It's funny how uh, it has kind of uh, evolved a little bit because eventually you learn, oh, it's just quantifiable scouting. It's not some weird, scary number. It's just we're watching every play and putting it in a number for you it to is, understand. It is more subjective than metrics in other sports. Yes, because it has to be. Because football, without exactly knowing an assignment, that's the hardest part and still for me the disconnect. Yeah. And when I've talked to players about it and former players about it, they say that's the difference is knowing what someone's job was. And he may have done his job Uh in a way that doesn't make for a higher grade, but it was what the coach wanted him to do on that play. A little bit later this hour, we'll get an inside report on Mike McGlinchey, not Kevin, who would never call him that. Mike McGlinchey, who may be a Bears target coming up in free agency. Dave Wanstead at 4 o'clock. But next, I have a theory on why Jason Hayward may succeed as a Dodger. And I need to run it by you on the score. Oh, Hayward crushes one deep to right center field. Heading back toward the wall. It is gone. Second home run of the spring for Jason Hayward. Dodgers lead it 3-1. to one. Well, Anyone that's ever been around Jason Hayward... And Freddie Freeman is about as close as you can get in friendship, along with the teammate. Everybody is rooting for Jason Hayward. That's it right there. That's the factor. Speegs and Dan Bernstein together this afternoon on Parkins and Spiegel, along with Chris Tannehill and Shane Reardon. I don't know why I hadn't thought about it, like, in detail 
Because there's a lot of things that very specifically former Cub Jason Hayward is working on in Dodgers camp. There are reasons why you choose L.A., etc. But I had kind of forgotten the true context of his deep friendship with Freddie Freeman. Do you remember this stuff? No. They were 16 years old, 16 years old, and met at an all-star game as high schoolers. Okay. Coming off, I believe it was their sophomore years in high school, and just immediately gravitated to each other and were thick as thieves that entire week as 16-year-olds. And for you, as the father of a high school baseball player, can give you the feels, right? Yeah. They were drafted... The same year by the Atlanta Braves, Hayward in the first round, Freeman in the second round, and uh, Hayward reached the majors first and was an immediate success. Our friend Jason Goff has talked about he was down there in Atlanta at the time, and everybody talked about Hayward like he was going to be Hank Aaron. Like, here you go. Here's lefty Hank Aaron. I I remember watching that game against Carlos Zambrano where they're building him up, building him up. It was a three-run home run, like 420 feet. First at bat. And I thought, whoo-wee. I was watching that game, too. First at bat of Jason Hayward's uh, career. And so he and Freddie Freeman super tight the whole way up through the Braves system. And then three years as teammates, lockers next to each other. And now their lockers are next to each other at Camelback. But if good intentions had that kind of value, he would have been he, he would have been better. Everybody has had the best of intentions for him. I know. And everybody's cared about him. I and know. And everybody's given him every opportunity to reinvent. I know. And to, so, so. so maybe it won't work. And there is all of that stuff that's going on again. Like the Dodgers have lowered his hands and flattened his bat path. Hoping we'll be able to cover more of the plate with this swing. And yeah, we, it looks like he's kind of flicking. I, I, it, it, he's not using as much of his levers as he had. Maybe they're just trying to cut down some of the movement. Is there a better left-handed hitter who has power and contact skills and a body type and like like skinny strength than Freddie Freeman for Jason Hayward to be around who knows him like this from when he was 16, when they were coming up successfully. And Freeman says about the adjustments, I love his adjustments. It's a big difference. Usually his hands are going like this, moving back. They're back to where they need to be now. He's got a better chance to get to the ball. Freddie Freeman, quote, you're going to see why he was a first-round draft pick. So I, I hope not, he's right. It's I, not just the warmth of the intentions. It's the fact that Freeman, who knows hitting, has been a part of the adjustments and everything like that. And, yes, he is the guy who started lobbying Andrew Friedman to sign Hayward as soon as his time in Chicago ended. As uh, soon as it ended, Freddie Freeman in Andrew Friedman's ear, and there they are together again. And I hadn't realized just how close they were. It would be a great story. I am skeptical just because of the number of smart professional hitting instructors and coaches who have I know. looked this over. And we've all heard the stories about what the Cubs discussed before committing to that acquisition and trying to get the top half working with the bottom half, yep. trying to make sure that, that, that Absolutely. The, the, the power can be realized that's natural in his build. Yeah, but you, 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 know, you know how it is with baseball that there are so many ways to talk about it and so many different things you can do. It can get in your head and muddle your head. And Cody Bellinger is a guy 
who the Cubs' plan for this spring training, and Sahad of Sharma has written about this, is they're not telling him too much. Because he's one of those guys. You're you know, the only one inside your own head. You're the, he says you're the only one inside your own head. You don't want Cody Bellinger thinking about too much stuff. Jason Hayward is a, freaking, is a very smart guy. His parents went to Dartmouth. He's super cerebral himself. He likes to think about all that stuff, maybe to a fault, right? They're sort of opposite ends of the spectrum in, in, in a really mm-hmm. interesting way to me because Hayward tried every one of those adjustments you're talking about with the Cubs, and I'm sure he'll try this one again with the best of intentions and really trying to make it cerebral and all of that. But... It hasn't worked. I'm watching both those guys. I think it's a fascinating moment to see both of them adjust from sort of different ends of the spectrum on how much information they want. Especially at a time where the overall balance of the game is so tilted toward pitchers that it's it's not like it's 15 years ago. It's not like it's 10 years ago. That It's just now guys are these, these sinkers that have 19 I inches know. of run I and know. everybody's got the sweeping slider I now. That to, to do it now at this stage of a career for it for the light to somehow go on even if it does it's still that much harder but it's back to the future is what they both want to do they want to get back to being themselves and being the great version that they were when they were 22 and 23 don't we all Uh, yeah but the rules also lend itself to it a little bit stop worrying about the shift there is no shift stop worrying about hitting over the shift there is no shift just hit the freaking ball. Hit some of the low-line drives that you probably hit a lot just naturally as you learn to hit. Yasmani Grandal talked about that, right? We played it, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Grandal said, we made it. We, we, we've come out of the wilderness, essentially, that now you can go back to being the hitter that you were. So I, I think we're, we're going to see some success stories in that regard. I just find it interesting that the soft factors for Hayward um, might, actually, might actually help. Now, it would be around. a hell of a story. I, I'm going to remain skeptical just because how old is he now? 35? Uh, Hayward? I don't think he's quite that old. Uh, uh, un- unbelievably. You know, I, it, it, it's, hard, it's hard enough for somebody who's 33. He's 33. Okay. He's 33. And it's His middle name is Elias. It is, it is, <laughs> it is possible for him to do Where it. Where was he born, Shane? If you can uh, Ridgewood, New Jersey. Thank you very much. There's been a lot of smart people looking at giving all kinds of advice for somebody's on Wikipedia. If they reset him to factory, His dad's name is Eugene. Thank you. If they reset him to factory defaults and, and, yes. and, and just say, forget it, go, you know, see ball, hit ball, or whatever they like to say. Yeah. I, I'm, I, Wish him the best. He's also he's having really good results so far. He's having really good results, and you know who he might push off the Dodgers roster if if he makes the team. Trace Thompson might not make the oh, team. Oh no, <laughs> former Sox slugger and Cubs, a briefly Cubs yes. slugger, and Clay Thompson's little brother. Time is a flat circle, man. It just I'll get a chance to be twenty five, thirty home run guy. That's Hawk on Trace Thompson. That's phenomenal. Or Tyler Saladino. <laughs> yeah, or- but the Dodgers do you really. The Dodgers love Trace Thompson. He's been back there three times. They, they just keep saying, "You know what? Let's go. Let's go get him." And 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 he's he might be their starting center fielder. It's him or Jason Hayward. Six seventy. The score is where you are. Matt Spiegel and Dan Bernstein is who you are with. Let's get an inside scoop on Mike McGlinchey the right tackle of the San Francisco 49ers, who may indeed be a Bears target. We'll do that next on The Score. 
you know, it sucks that this league has such turnover that you can't, you know, keep the whole t- squad together. It's the NFL. Anything can happen. If not, how do you want fans to remember Someone who laid it all out for you. I played, you know, win, lose, or draw. I did it with class. I was a great teammate, and um, and I played hard. And that's uh, and I I loved playing for. I love playing football, and that's all I uh, that's all I hope anybody ever remembers me by. The Parkins and Spiegel Show afternoons on the Score. Well, that sounds like a dude who's done in San Francisco. Mike McGlinchey, the free agent right tackle the Notre Dame product the longtime 49er you know and, and as we live from the outside here on 670 the score we've always talked about that San Francisco offensive line in such glowing terms and Kyle Shanahan well look at they, they've got a pro bowler at left tackle and a pro bowler at right tackle and first round picks everywhere and everything but is he any good because the Bears might spend a lot of money on him. So let's find out. Bonte Hill is the morning host at 95-7, the game in San Francisco. He has the good fortune to work near my friend Mark Willard. And for my old friend, Matt Nahagian, oh, the Nahagian stories I could share with you, Bonte Hill. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, I may need some dirt, man, to keep a job out here in the Bay Area. Oh. Uh, Mark Willard, I mean, geez. Mark Willard, really? Oh, man. Uh, look, he's a good dude. No, seriously, both those guys would be great. I love Matt Nahigan. I love Mark Willard. I do not love Mike McGlinchey, the football player, though. Uh, I actually cautioned somebody in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago. And they're thinking, hey, we want to spend about $16, $17 million on the right tackle, and we think Mike McGlinchey's a guy. And I said, good luck with that. Have fun spending that money on him. Good dude. Okay player. He will struggle with pass protection. It will feel like an overpay if you give them that much money per year. So that's why we called. Tell tell us why we don't want to be out of town, stupid, Bonte. And if you right. use that, if you use that, you got to give me credit for it because I've been using it a no long doubt. time. I, uh, I, I definitely will. Thanks, man. Appreciate <laughs> it. But but so help us not be out of town, stupid. Tell us more about Mike McGlinchey, the player. Well, well, you know they drafted him tenth overall, right out of Notre Dame, in draft class that had Roquan Smith, Quentin Nelson, Derwin James, and a lot of Niner fans thought that Derwin James was to pick, even though they didn't need a right tackle. And so a lot of Niner fans and a lot of people out here kind of compare Michael McGlinchey and what he did in terms of production to what Derwin James has done with the L.A. Chargers. Now, Derwin James has been hurt, but so is Mike McGlinchey. And I think a couple of years ago, he lost so much weight. He almost looked like he was a, a, a slim tight end. And he couldn't block anybody in pass protection. He was getting, he was getting just tossed around like a rat dog. In run, pardon me, in the run game, he's solid. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna blow hope and holes. He's gonna he's gonna be solid there. He's a road grader. But in pass protection in the league, in which you need to convert third downs, the buddy down, in which you need to give your quarterback time to throw against monster edge rushers. I don't know. And I'm looking at that division, Aiden Hutchinson. You know, Minnesota's got some dudes. Green Bay's always got some guys uh, who, who can rush the passer. I'm just not so sure about Mike McGlinchey, the pass protector. Now, unless you're going to run the ball every single down, great. You got yourself a bargain. But unfortunately, you can't run the wing T offense. You're not running a wishbone. You're not being like Barry Switzer's Oklahoma uh, Sooners back in the day where you're running the ball down. People start, you got to throw the ball a little bit. And that's where McGlinchey gets into trouble. When he gets beat, is it speed? Is it power? Is it both? It's both. It's both. I mean, because, uh, again, he had lost so much weight. Now, he put some weight back on over the last couple seasons. But if you look at him three seasons ago, you're like, geez, 
that a right tackle? Really, Mike McGlinchey? So he did bulk up a little bit, but speed gets him, uh, power gets him, because at times in pass protection, he's just off balance. His footwork at times could become ferocious or atrocious. Excuse me. I got that from low deal. You could steal that one. Don't even trip off of that. But uh, <laughs> his footwork has just been bad uh, in terms of pass protection. So speed, power, doesn't even matter. And a lot of times the Niners said help over there. Now you can do that because you have Trent Williams as your left tackle. But Mike McGlinch, he gets beat with both speed and power. Man, that's uh, distressing stuff. So you mentioned Trent Williams. Like, we got a left tackle in, in Braxton Jones, who probably is going to be the dude who is not a lockdown pass rush, you know, killer. Um, and, and so we've had to use Chip Help and Max Protect, some of my dear friends on the offensive line. Well, they re-signed Kari Blassing game for, you know, this is a guy who, as, as he's exiting the backfield, might yes. be able to come over and give a little, how's your father? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, like, it, 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 did Trent Williams help Mike McGlinchey exist? Because you probably didn't have to help Trent Williams too much on the edge. Yeah, no doubt. It, it did help. It did help. And don't forget Joe Staley before Trent Williams, where you didn't really have to help Joe Staley, who's a borderline Hall of Fame left tackle. So uh, it, they use a lot of tight ends at times with Mike McGlinchey. Again, when it was one-on-one, uh, it was just – it was bad on that edge. And a lot of teams, they'll, whether it was Micah Parsons in a divisional round game, whether it was uh, the commanders and their pass rushers late in the season against the Niners, McGlinchey did get help. He was – I mean, he became – it became so bad out here. Like a lot of people rip Jimmy G out here, and a lot of the fan base has been put out Jimmy Garoppolo since he's arrived. But Mike McGlinchey was almost like he was the second scapegoat. Clips would come out every single week, and they'd isolate him. Mike McGlinchey, look at what he did here. Look at what he did there. So, um, look, I, I think a, a change of scenery. Maybe the offensive system didn't fit him uh, coming out of Notre Dame. Obviously, they're playing with a little more power. Um, so I. I just 16 to 17 million per year. A lot of us out here say, really? Gosh, what about 8 million? What about 9 million? But we get the price. We get, you get, you get the price point, the right tackle. Everybody's looking for an offensive lineman. So, uh, I, I mean, he, he's a good guy in the locker room. He's a good guy in the huddle. But for that money, you want all pro, you want pro bowler. And he's just not that. I'd love to know what his health is, where his the condition of his body, and just where he feels like. You mentioned putting on weight. That if if we know he's at the ideal weight with actual hundred percent health, what kind of player we're getting? You know, I don't know if we ever saw the full potential of him because early in his career he dealt with some injuries. But he was he was big. He was coming out of Notre Dame playing at that playing weight. Um, he it looked like he had lost weight. It, it almost looked like he was an old school West Coast offensive lineman in which he in which he basically was like Bob McKittrick's tool, where they're two seventy, they're pulling guards, you know, he's running counters and traps. And it was like, well, Shanahan really doesn't do a lot of that. And so I think the ideal weight for him is about three ten, three ten. And look, he is a tough guy. He does play through injuries, but I always caution players playing through injuries during a contract season. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like guys are playing like contract season. Oh, I'm going to play through anything because I need to get that money. And I always caution myself when players do play through injuries during a contract season. Because so you know they get the money, and now if they do suffer a little nink, a uh, little kink or a bruise or whatnot, and then they're saying, okay, this guy's going to sit out the game because he already got his money. He's going to play it safe. 
and I could see a situation in Michael McGlinchey. I call him soft, but I could see a guy like that where he gets his money and he's just saying to himself, uh, I'm not going to push this this week. I'm going to wait a couple extra weeks to make sure this knee heals right. Well, this was horrifying. Um, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Bonta I'm Hill. The, I'm, the, I'm the worst person to call about Michael McGlinchey. I'm telling you, man. He became a whippy boy out here. And midway through the year, we just said, you know what? We're not going to talk about Mike Wilkinshi. It is what it is. He is who he is. I mean, pop on week one. Week one against the Bears. Trey Lance comes out there for the Hufanga interception. Third down. And who's the rookie defensive end who just pile drive Mike McGlinchey right to Trey Lance? Boom, sack. I mean, that rookie had his down. I don't even remember his name. Did so Dominique Robinson? Might have been Dominique Robinson. Dominique Robinson. Robinson. I think it was Dominique Robinson. Because uh, I remember, yeah, Dominique Robinson. Oh. And I mean, the only play he made all year. <laughs> Well, it, it was against Michael Glinchy, so there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Oy. No, I, I think okay. you're the right guy to, to call, and I'm glad we did, but you go away now. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> I will. I will. I'm going to go suffer during the Warriors game now, see if they could freaking win a road game. They've only won seven road games. Yeah, but that Draymond stuff on Dylan Brooks is gold. Hey, hey, it is kind of, hey we're going to miss Draymond Green if he ever leaves or retires because he is a content machine, no doubt about that. <laughs> Bonte, <laughs> thanks, man. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you. Anytime, fellas. Have a good one. All right, you got it. It's Bonte Hill from 95.7 The Game. Well, woof. Okay. Woof, woof, woof. You know what it made me think of? All the different free agent tackles the Bears have brought here. Orlando Pace. Oh, God, man. Blake Brockermeyer. Jermaine Fetty, Frank Omiel. Oh. <laughs> they did have two good ones, though. John Tate and Fred Miller. Yes, they did. John Tate and Fred Miller how, were part of the, That was all free agent. How, how about Reuben Brown? Guard. Oh, right, 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 of course. They played him at left guard. And they had Roberto Garza. I mean, that was... So they got they did have a couple. See, they had Bushrod too in that class with Martellus Bennett that year. That's true. Jermon Bushrod, Jermon Bushrod, who was a killer in New Orleans, and There's then no vineyard out there where they're growing uh, left tackles. My God, bless you for still having that, Jerry Angelo, frantically looking for the tackle vineyard. God, I'll never forget. We're so excited about Orlando Pace, and then there was that exhibition game against the Broncos and Elvis Dummerville. Just abused Orlando Pace. That was my guy. And, and you know and, my love for short pass rushers. Well, and then and we thought, well, you know, maybe bad body matchup. Right. It's an exhibition I game. Remember. But no, that was in fact the herald of bad tidings. And Elvis exposed Orlando Pace, who apparently had retired from football <laughs> and just didn't hadn't tell the didn't, Bears. Didn't tell anybody. Yeah, that was mean to not tell the Bears. Right. About it's just that. not nice. Oh, God. The Tackle Vineyard. Have you ever had an Orlando Pace Cabernet Sauvignon? It's absolutely delicious. I have not. It's got sort of those the, the blue fruit mm-hmm. notes, the graphite on the finish. Yeah. It's old, though. It's old, though. It old relatable be. Dan there. Graphite on the finish. <laughs> the hell, dude? Yeah, we, I'm, just, I'm, listeners I'm, don't know what that means. I'm making fun of myself from the Cameron okay. Hughes reads. Sorry about that. I don't listen to your show. It's yeah. part of the bit. We Jason it. Peters still has a lot more football left in his career. Uh, I don't know about a whole lot. That's the best. <laughs> Jason <laughs> Peters, you still got a lot yeah. of football. I don't know. I don't know about that. Forgot him. There you go. That was the best offensive lineman that year, though. Oh, God. So, so bears. Uh, Danny Parkins, the relatable Danny Parkins, is not here um, today is with his family, taking care of them. There's a virus, hopefully not a terrible one, going through the house. Yeah, the- just everybody's walking around, just throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> 
a cavalcade of vomit. It sounds like norovirus to me, which means two days of hell, and then it's over. That's too bad. But we have the very relatable Dan Bernstein here instead. Hello! Dave Wanstead is next with us on The Score. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.